Unspoken Issues. All right. Well, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another episode. We are back because we are in the middle, in the midst of the continuing saga of Transformers Generation 2. And the three you heard on the previous episode have come back to discuss the second half of this epic storyline. So I am Jesse Starcher, and I am, of course, joined by Dean Compton. Dean Compton, are you ready to talk some Transformers Generation 2 tonight? I was ready to talk Transformers Generation 2 tonight, six months before I was born. There weren't even Transformers, but I was ready. I knew what was coming. I'm the Dr. (laughs) Manhattan of Transformers. That's crazy. (laughs) Well, all right, then. Uh, Derry, wait, how about you, buddy? Are you ready to jump into the second half and finish this epic saga out? I am. Uh, I'm very excited for this half, and I, I don't know if I would say I'm the Silk Spectre of Transformers, because I don't know if I want to make out with Dean. <laughs> well, there's some fan fiction for you, ladies and gentlemen. That sounds like it's going to be a lot of fun. I would make out with me. All right. <laughs> All right. Well, you know, hey, we're, we're picking up where we left off, getting into the synopsis here. That synopsis is right around the corner, but first let me tell you about Amazon Music. You may not be able to find Starscream's crooning country album, King of My Own Castle, but you will be able to find the Cybertronic Spree's rockin' good time tune, Cybertronic Warrior. If you head to getamazonmusic.com slash W2M Network, you can get a free 30-day trial where you can check out over 70 million songs. That's getamazonmusic.com slash W, the number 2M Network for that free 30-day trial. Hey, everybody, just wanted to step in here real quick and give the credits for issues 7 through 12 of Transformers Generation 2. Written by Simon Furman, credited as the artist for some stories, is Derek Ganniger and also Jeff Sr. Pencils by Manny Galan, inks by Jim Amash, lettered by Starkings, O'Neill, and Comicraft, and colors are Sarah Masoff. While pillaging a moon for some re- reanimum? reanimum gas, the scout ship returns with barely enough time to tell Megatron that Jaxus destroyed most of their party before blowing completely out of the sky. Enraged, Megatron and his forces face off with Jaxus and his army, but are easily defeated. Megatron's attempt at fighting Jaxus one-on-one results in them being nearly destroyed and sent crashing to a planet below. When Megatron's Decepticons find him, he makes a decision to form an alliance with his adversaries, Optimus Prime and the Autobots. As the uneasy union between Megatron and Optimus is getting settled, a distress call comes in uh, from a planet called Ethos, as all life on the planet is apparently getting wiped out. Prime says they must check it out. Megatron, uh, I don't feel like we should be wasting our time doing that. And he, st- he hangs back. On Ethos, Prime sees the destruction Jaxxus's forces have wrought and again wonders about their creator's plan to limit the Transformers' growth because they would grow beyond compassion and morality. That was discussed in the previous episode. There's a a lot of, uh, uh, oh boy, what would be the word? Like it's, It almost feels like kind of a, a mythology for the, the Transformers. Am I, is that, does that sound good, Dean? Yeah? That's precisely no, correct. This is okay. the Transformers, uh, I mean, not just mythology, but like, how they came to be and how these creation myths, if you will, evolved. And, and, and yeah, you know, certainly they, it, it's funny to think that like, oh, wow, they finally evolved beyond morality. I mean, have you have you met Shockwave? You know what I mean? <laughs> like this guy has no morality. Already, now they've done it? It seems like a decide, you know, and I think this is touched upon. They got to the point where like they were evolving past morality, so they had to stop because the Decepticons were already so immoral. But yeah, this, this isn't just their creation myths. These are their creation 
creation facts as I understand them, Derry. This is so crazy because, you know, you watch the cartoons, you watch the movies, you watch everything else, and you don't think there's an Old Testament creation myth underpinning all this but then you get this guy simon Furman, who wrote mm -hmm. the majority of the issues and he's like no 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 we're gonna retell the creation of the universe using these japanese toys and i love it because he never gives up you know he's the one who originally introduced primus he made something different out of unicron he really enforced these metaphysical themes and concepts that had no place in this stuff and he's still doing it here and the difference is that here it almost works because it's like i'm going to introduce the threat that comes from you that's so bad and so awful that if you don't get your stuff together and realize there's something bigger than you, there's not going to be anything left. So it's this beautiful morality play, but it's, you know, it's it's the toys. It's all the plastic stuff I got in the display case behind me. Number one, also, the citizens of the planet Ethos are getting wiped out. That's pretty subtle right there, you know, like, <laughs> like, like interesting. Uh, number two, I, I think, and, and I would love, maybe one day we can get Simon Furman and talk to us about this, but I think part of it is, like, you talk about, when you look at the way he approached it, I think, and I love Bob Udiansky, and I love what Jim Shooter did, and even, you know, Denny O'Neill had some contributions to the Transformers mythology, but they were definitely like, okay, this is something that we're building for some clients who have asked us to do so. I think in Furman's case, I'm not saying he didn't know they, he's like, I didn't even know there were toys. I don't think that's the case, but I don't think he approached it that way. Yeah. I think he approached it more as like, somebody has started like building a railroad line and we've got a few stops here at the start, but this railroad line can stretch infinitely and I can put whatever stops as it, you know, that I want as it goes and it can even branch off. There could be multiple stops, multiple lines because he didn't see it as fulfilling the need for a client. He saw it as utilizing a existing characters to build a mythology that I don't want to say had been ignored, but just wasn't important in regard to the work that had come prior. Yeah, and, you know, to his credit, to, to Simon Furman's credit, he did a pretty good job, because as no, far I as totally I know... Agree. Yeah, as far as I know, he's still connected with the mythology. I mean, most people, especially in comic books, can't say they've been working on the same property for, for decades since their inception. I mean, even Stan Lee eventually left Fantastic Four and Spider-Man, but as far as I know, Simon Furman is still working on stories, doing stuff involving the community, and it's like, it's like, hey man, this is, this is great. I mean, I, I know in the down period when Beast Wars was very popular, he had all these ideas of where he wanted stuff to go and people would invite him to conventions and talk to him and say, hey Simon, what was the plan here? And be like, well, let me tell you what it is. And now that, you know, we, we've had a bit of a resurgence in Transformers as this evergreen property, which I love, he's kind of been able to tell these stories. So yeah, to, to Dean's point, it's like he put in the legwork, but it's paid off. And I'm, I'm quite happy to keep supporting him. When you talk about the Marvel Universe, like the conversation is going to like start and end with, you know, Lee and Kirby. When it's Transformers, I feel like the name that comes up it starts and ends with Simon Furman. Even if he didn't create them, he's the guy who has really cemented them on multiple levels because he's helped with the video games. He's, he's done the comic books. I think he's worked on some prose novels. He's like an advisor to the films. He's the guy who has stamped every possible way that you can to the point where like, it's funny, he starts working on the comics because of the toys. And now he's somebody who they ask about to make toys, you know? <laughs> so I think that, uh, I think that, you know, he's, his name is the one it starts and ends there. A lot of other people done a lot of great things. But yeah, it's hard for me to believe. To, and he pulls it off. Like you said, you're reading this stuff and you're watching this. Uh, essentially, like it's an Old Testament morality play. And it, and it works. Jesse, you don't know as much about these characters as, as we do, obviously. <laughs> so um, 
how does it work for you? Were you kind of feeling that same Old Testament cosmic chariot of the gods type stuff here? Or, oh, or you know, or was it just, you know, man, those robots, they've got to go. <laughs> them, them crazy robots. No, Look I, at that war world. Not even uh, <laughs> I, I, I love this aspect of the, you know, the creation and what's come after these Optimus Prime. You know, like I said, I got a good baseline of Transformers by watching the cartoon and knowing what happened in the movie and all that. But this adds that extra layer to it, with me, which to me, it, it makes it that much more interesting. I really do like uh, knowing the fact that we talked about this last episode, that Prime feels like he doesn't he's confused. He doesn't know what's going on. You know, imagine if if we were all of a sudden uh, just given that revelation that Prime has, like, okay, our world, well, you know, in some sense, maybe it has, but, you know, humanity could probably run amok and given the uh, right tools that could take over the universe. But uh, just because that's the way we are, (laughs) (laughs) I think we're in the process of doing so, but that's going to weigh heavy on somebody. And that definitely weighs heavy on Optimus here that he's kind of confused. He's trying to figure out what to do. Plus, he knows that, you know, shit's about to hit the fan with this swarm and these visions that he's having. You know, he shows up on Ethos. He sees what Jahaxis is doing. They're, they're still wiping out planets. The Autobots are with Prime. They they find the invading army uh, that's uh, going through Ethos, and they engage with them. Uh, as, the re- as they realize that the battle's not going their way, lo and behold, Megatron and his, his troops show up. Uh, they teleport in to sway the tide of battle, helping Prime defeat Jahaxis' troops. Sometime later, Prime and Megatron's team land on a moon called Jasic and discovered has been ravaged with from all life and matter, nearly stripped away, leaving lifeless husks. Taking some of the material left behind on Jasic back to Earth, the Autobot team examines it to find that it is very similar or identical to Cybertronian genetics. Prime lets the others in on his visions. Hey guys, this is what I've been seeing. And his revelation that all Cybertronians could create new life, but their race had forgotten this was something that they could do. But Jihaxis has rediscovered it and just continued to do so over and over, leading to a separation of any morality. Well, one thing I got to point out that you you mentioned, and I'm happy you were because it was my biggest note, that someone introduced the idea of transformer genetics. Yes. Like, I, I, know, <laughs> I, I know superhero comics play fast and loose with science, but when I read that the first time, and I was like, all right, you know what, that's fine. And then I was reading it the second time, I was like, no, that's complete nonsense. Like, like the, the idea that, a, a, you know, a giant 18-wheeler that turns into a robot has a genetic code is so funny to me because it's, it's again, this idea, like Dean was saying before, where it was like, Simon has a story he wants to tell, and he's not going to let the fact that it's someone else's property stop him from doing that. So we have this whole thing where literally a DNA spiral is drawn into the comic. Oh, yeah. We have the same genetic structure as us. And I'm just sitting here laughing. Because I'm like, <laughs> I don't think you guys have DNA. But again, I'm, I'm glad you're running with it. I could understand it maybe to a point of like, okay, we, we got to sort of humanize them somehow. I mean, these are obviously big robots. And if they got genetics, if they got genes, okay, fine. That sounds good. I mean, yes, we're in the yeah. 90s here. I'm sure fringe science and genetics is probably a buzzword going on around then at that point. But uh, but yeah, I could see where you'd find it. It's just what in the world? I mean, it was going around at the time. And, yeah. But I think, you know, for me, it's funny when I read that. At first, I, I thought the same thing. I was like, that's silly. But then I was like, we accept that, that Transformers are alive. Yeah. We accept that they're like sentient beings like us. And I wonder on some level if, 
and this is me, you know, maybe getting a little meta, but I wonder if like we read it that way because that's the way we would understand it. That's not exactly what it is, but like that's the that's the closest that we could possibly come to comprehending this because it makes sense that there's some kind of sentient beings that have some equivalent of a genetic code, especially if they've decided that like, you know, they don't, that they lost their way to reproduce while well, all of them are pretty similar. But at the same time, you know, they don't die like us. So, it, it, you know, I guess on some level, maybe it doesn't make sense. But for me, I was just like, that's just the closest we can come to understanding it. Mm. Listen, I trust Wheeljack. I trust Perceptor. <laughs> I trust the science team. There's a science team. Just like I trust science in real life, I got the vaccine. Perceptor said, this is good. I'm in. I'm in. Way to go, scientists. It's funny, too, because I I at no point was like, oh, I don't buy this or I don't accept it. It was just like, I love that they're leaving nothing on the field. It's like, we need a story where suddenly Transformers have DNA. We're running with it. And I'm like, great. I am on this train. I am sitting in in my seat (laughs) until the end. But the other thing it made me think of, and I I don't know, I'm, I'm sure Dean has read it, Jesse. I'm not sure if you have, but in the very first Transformers comic, uh, they actually say before Primus had been introduced, Bob Budiansky wrote the script that actually says that on the planet Cybertron, life evolved from like gears and levers and things like that. So that was the first place my mind went of saying like, I doubt this is what Simon intended. And again, I I don't know him. I'm just calling him Simon for shorthand. But like, if you were to go back and connect this, you know, almost the last issue of, of the classic comic to the first one and saying, well, maybe we did evolve on Cybertron and now we're going to have to deal with our evolutionary descendants for me it was just like oh okay you know it's a nice symmetry to the whole thing can you imagine like the the lever or gear guppy crawling out of like the freaking <laughs> cyber ocean on Cybertron like evolving like oh I guess I'll get on land like it happened it here comes out of the sea of rust and it's right, like right, right. Just, oh, it just comes out and then it's like whoa 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 what if I was also a car <laughs> <laughs> what if I was a car too? You know what I mean? I mean, listen, it's not a bad idea. I also think sometimes, what if I was a car too? Oh, yeah. So, you know, I mean, sure. it's not a bad idea. Way to go. Yeah, Transformers Evolution. You're right. I hadn't thought about that in a while, but that is an issue one. That's and it crazy. does kind of bring it all, uh, you know, brings it all back home, almost Bob Dylan style. Mm. <laughs> Uh, this is uh, my first side note. During all of this, on a planet called Karn, Jaxus's troops are again exterminating life, but they are completely overtaken by a black swarm that kills them all. Mindset leads the away team on Karn and is one of the last to face the swarm and watches as the swarm becomes a gigantic being and then proceeds to eat them. This sets off some sympathetic pains in Onslaught, who is on board Warworld. So, okay, Mindset is a Combaticon, am I correct? Those were Geaxis's forces. I don't... Oh, no, he's... you're right. Mindset is a Geaxis. He's not a Combaticon. Yeah, he's I not apologize. a Combaticon. No, okay. Um, uh, I, I think the connection that you're supposed to get is like, since he transformed like I don't know some weird truck missile bay thing that's kind of what the combaticons did so I thought that like he could feel it because they're that connected no I I, 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 I didn't get what it was that's what I thought it was you got it figured out Derry it doesn't make a lot of sense to me so I'm gonna say this but this is not uh this is not saying, hey, this is this makes a lot of sense to me. I just think what's going on. I think what's supposed to be going on is like Onslaught birthed one of these Cybertronians eons ago, doesn't remember it. And it's almost like, hey, my kid got knocked off and I can feel a phantom pain. Okay. That makes sense. It, it, no, no, no. It, it, well, I mean, yeah, I mean, it makes sense within the context of Generation 2. My only yeah. thing, and again, I'm just nitpicking here, but I, I think Onslaught and the Combaticons were created on 
Earth. So that would have been after they left Cybertron originally. But again, I that's just a, a real nitpick here. And I don't know the comic continuity as good as, as well as I do the cartoon ones. So I could be wrong. Well, Dean looks like he's thinking. I mean, it was both, right? Like I <laughs> yeah. thought they used, uh, it was like personality chips from Cybertron right? that they You're put right. into like, that they utilized on Earth vehicles. See, there we go. There we go. Well, all, all I saw was like, okay, I see the guy, I see mindset like get eaten. And then you see right. Onslaught, like, oh, my stomach hurts. <laughs> I'm like, <what>? <laughs> <laughs> bends over and I'm like, uh, well, he, there's some kind of sympathetic pain here of some sort or something. And I didn't understand the relation between the two. I thought that they were both like of the same, they were both combaticons or something. I, I don't know where I got that from, but I thought well, maybe because that. because uh, it blast off talks to him. It says they're both combaticons in yeah, the yeah, uh, yeah. panel. So you uh, might have you know, put all that together. And that I speak to one of my biggest, my biggest, probably my one of my biggest nitpicks about Transformers Generation 2. There's no combination. Like we never see Devastator. We never see Bruticus. We never see Defensor. We never see uh, Superion. We never see Computron. Uh, you know, we never see Minasaur. But we see a lot of their individual guys. And I just don't know why. Because to me, that's one of the most fun and coolest things about the Transformers. And it also makes sense why you would think that mindset would have been a part of them. Also, mindset's one of the only named of Jackson's yeah. Like most of them don't have a name. Like so, yeah, so like I can see how you would think that, but but like that's one of my biggest gripes is we we see the Combaticons. We see them in mass at some point. You know, yeah. they're like gonna team up to fight Starscream, but we don't see them turn into Bruticus and whip his ass. Yeah, you know what right. I mean? Like we don't see anything like that. So I wonder why that is. I wonder why they chose not to to use the uh combining stuff here. Um because I feel like we missed something without it. It's it's an important part of Transformers to me. Do you have a favorite combiner? Wow, uh, that's that's tough, man. That's a real <laughs> tough one. Um, th they're all so cool. Uh, I think my favorite is probably uh, Bruticus because I, when I was growing up, I was a big World War II mark. Oh, and nice. so, like, a lot of his, except for, like, you know, Vortex, they're kind of all based on, and I guess Blast Off as well, you know, but, like, you know, there's a tank, there's that guy. I also love Defensor, a big oh, fan yeah. of Defensor because, you know, like, Colossus is, like, one of my favorite X-Men. I like the people who are, like, I'm big and strong, and I protect. Yeah. So it's probably those two with, you know, Special Asterisk to Devastator because everybody loves Devastator. It's just a rule. Who's your favorite combiner, Derry? I, I have a soft spot. I couldn't tell you why, but for Piranha. Monicon. Oh, Veronica's amazing. Yeah, the combined form of the Seacons. I love that. I don't know why, but he's got a fancy helmet and he always looks kind of like something that would fight Godzilla. Yes. And I just, I loved the the Seacons, all the animals and stuff. I must have had them. They must have been released right at the good time for me to have them. But even now, today, I'll bring him up and a lot of people will be like, what are you talking about? Because I don't know that he ever made it into the American one. But yeah, he, he is my favorite. He's definitely on the short list of like... I got to get another tattoo. It's going to be this random fish robot from Japan. <laughs> I also like, I can't remember what they combine into, but they fight Computron. It's like the Terragons. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I can't remember the name of the, and I feel, I, I'm like, I'm like, take my badge, I'm off the force, because I can't remember the name. But it was like <laughs> genuinely scary. Like, you know, it looked, it looked bad. Not a big Predacons guy. Just, no, yeah, okay. <laughs> yeah, no, no I, Predacons are, are are rough only because I, you know, I love the Beast Wars ones so much. But the the Terracons are exciting because they they combine into Abominus. Abominus, they, that's his name. They might be in the next movie. I was reading something that oh, said how about that. that? Yeah, that Transformers, I don't know, 7 or whatever we're up to is going to have the Beast Wars characters, but it's going to feature a third faction and it might be the Terracons. So I'm like, oh, yeah. I am on board with that. 
I can't, but yeah, I can't. no combiners. Get, you know, trying not to get too far off track. Sorry, <laughs> well, no, that, I'm, you know. I, that's Did a you, great what question. What about you, Jesse? You know about the combiners, right? Uh, like, well, do, I mean, I, I just brought up a list. I just brought up a list just to look at <laughs> which ones I recognize and which ones I don't. Uh, let's just say there's a lot that I don't. But yeah, Devastator, I mean, purple and green. Okay, I'll just go by the colors. I mean, that looks badass. when yeah. they And then they come together. Devastator's badass. Piranacon, I, brought, I just brought that up, and that is interesting. Let me get back. Anyhow, point being, boy, do we love the combiners. <laughs> uh, now, Prime's visions continue to show worlds being drained of life. Uh, this is going on throughout, the, you know, throughout these three issues. Uh, as events of the swarm gr- grow closer, Prime begins to feel that the visions the Matrix continue to give him appear to have started to become true. Now, I mean, he's pretty much believed these were going to happen since the beginning, but I wanted to make sure to get that out there, that these visions have continued throughout these issues. The swarm is coming, ladies and gentlemen. It is on its way. Uh, and how could I... I didn't forget, but I can't leave out. Starscream is continuously worried about his role in Megatron's League of Decepticons and begins to wonder about what to do in case Megatron has no use for him. Well, After you know, the battle- Starscream is Derry's favorite. So <laughs> I'll say that right off. And th- let me say, number one, Starscream's always going to Starscream. Yeah. Number oh, yeah. two, I love Thundercracker. What a great name. I like how Thundercracker's always like, shut up, Starscream, let's just get this done. Number three, Derry, I've been waiting like since our last one to ask you like Starscream like how do you justify this behavior in G2 like he wow I mean like like obviously obviously you know um you know he, he goes way off but like here he's already contemplating like overthrowing Megatron for what nothing's happened but that's the thing like Star the reason I love Starscream so much is he's like a Batman villain you know he's pathologically obsessed with this thing that's always going to be his downfall in this case it's like I have to betray Megatron even if it's not in his own interest interest even if he knows he's going to die as a result like he almost can't help himself he's not even just iago he's like he should be in arkham screaming at the bars and being like let me out so i can betray the lord of the decepticons the the master of evil if you will so i i love it because it's almost like you can't get out of your own way and what did megatron do he resurrected you he could have resurrected one million loyal decepticon soldiers he's had in in you know his time during the great war and he resurrected Starscream like these two need each other like Megatron doesn't feel like he's accomplished anything unless someone is telling him how great it is even if they don't mean it and Starscream doesn't get up in the morning if he doesn't have someone to betray you know yeah I just want to point out that my boy Soundwave was the only one who could ask Megatron that not give him a drop Yeah. All right, sorry, yeah. just had to be interrupt, but we're talking about no. Starscream. I had to get that in. I think you're, yeah. That's fine. That's fine. I mean, because that absolutely ties in with what's happening here. Starscream is—he's worried about his role with Meg, you know, with Megatron, and the, and then the next thing you know, by the end of issue nine, after the battle on Ethos, Jahaxis is reflecting on his away team's defeat at the hands of what he believes was the Autobots, and gets a surprise visit from none other than Starscream, who offers his help to deliver both Megatron and Optimus Prime. By the end of the ninth issue. While Prime and Megatron are researching what was left by the swarm, Jaxus sends his forces to attack them on Earth. So, well, I wonder who did that. I think they figure it <laughs> out at the, uh, by uh, issue 10. But uh, I did have one more little side note, and you guys feel free to jump in. I, I should have done this the whole time we did these episodes, but Skullgrin, Runamuck, and Smokescreen all meet their end in these three issues. Skullgrin, I believe, explodes in midair. Uh, Runamuck and Smokescreen, I think, 
get destroyed. <laughs> and then, uh, yeah, uh, so I, I, keeping a, a tally of the deaths, that's what I've got so far in these uh, first three issues. So, you know, okay, I'm going to throw it to you guys uh, real quick, but it, just one quick talking point right from for the first issue uh, that we read. Megatron gets his butt handed to him. Anybody have any thoughts on that? I'll start with Dean. Dean, you got some thoughts on Megatron uh, being, I wouldn't say he got his, he, he wasn't putting a camel clutch and humbled because he certainly <laughs> wasn't humbled. <laughs> That's not possible. <laughs> I, and that's the thing. Megatron is never actually beaten. He is only momentarily pushed back. That's what he would tell you. He would tell you because it's weird as like over the top and as full of himself as Megatron fucking is. He's not so dumb. He's not so full of himself as to be so dumb as to be like, there's no place in war or in improvement for defeat. Megatron's lost a lot. Like, like he could tell you about the days of the gladiator pit. He would tell you about when he was downtrodden. He wouldn't be this great if he hadn't been trampled upon so many times. So uh, it is interesting to see Jack just get, you know, get over on in like such a one-sided fight or whatever. It's also, I'm not surprised because I think that I think that Megatron sometimes, like like I just said, even if he does learn from defeat, he does overestimate himself. And I feel like he also has made the mistake of he's very familiar with, like, three opponents. He's really, like, like, and I think Optimus yeah. Prime has the same problem. Think about a baseball team or a football team. Which teams are they are they the best at scouting? Do they know what they're going to do? It's the teams in their division. They play them the most. They know yeah. that the coaches stay the same. The plays tend to stay the same. When somebody new comes in, you learn it again. But after a year or two, you kind of got it down. I feel like Megatron suffers from that. And every time you try and see him ever attack anybody outside of uh, the Autobots, it doesn't go well for him because he's too used to trying to think like Optimus Prime. And so, you know, he tries to outsmart Prime instead of the opponent at hand. Uh, you know, kind of like Vince McMahon trying to do anything besides wrestling. It just doesn't work. So <laughs> I, I, I think this was the right way to go. When he does team up with somebody, Prime or somebody, you know, you know, works with the other Decepticons, works great for him. And I think that's yeah. what Mega, you know, that that's what you want from Megatron at some point because as evil as he is and as headstrong as he is, I like that he's a great leader and a great leader eventually overcomes adversity by working with the people that they have to overcome that obstacle. I, I was very conflicted because, you know, we had just come out of the G.I. Joe story that was basically about like, hey, Megatron's got a great new body. Go out, buy this toy. You know, he's got this fancy rail gun that Dr. Bigglesworth made for him. And uh, then here he gets knocked out pretty quickly by Giazis, yeah. who's a new character. It's like, hey, we got to show how strong the new guy is. But it was worth it for the last page. And for those of you who don't have it in front of you, it's just this beaten down, really disheveled looking wires and springs coming out everywhere. Megatron saying, you know, I'm back. I'm here. I have to defeat this guy. And to me, I like that because it's like, oh, OK, now if they're going to team up, it's going to kind of make sense because, you know, Megatron takes everything so personally. And it's like this upstart who dared at least at one point to call himself a Decepticon this G-axis guy, I got to kill him. I got to take him out. And if it means leading the Autobots to their victory, fine. I, I have to take this guy out. So Optimus Prime really is an me. asshole, but he's our asshole. Yeah, he's exactly. Asshole. Exactly. You know, exactly. I mean, and I'm not going to, you know, and I'm not, this, this motherfucker is not going to show up and, and throw everything off. Once again, let me also point out, my boy Soundwave is the one who's like, we're going to keep looking for Megatron until we find out if he exists or not. Shut the fuck up, everybody. <laughs> I, I, honestly, I just love that about Soundwave. Like, I just love, and here's the thing, Soundwave would take over the Decepticons in a heartbeat, but he also recognizes that within the hierarchy that there is, 
it behooves him to do the to do the quote unquote right thing. But when his moment arises, like we saw in the movie, he's not afraid to seize it. Yeah, exactly. Well, tell me about Darkwing there, Dean. I mean, this is uh, he gets a whole page where he's lighting shit up. When you're in trouble, you call DW. I mean, it's Darkwing. <laughs> uh, At the time, Darkwing hadn't been really been used a lot. Um, I think he he's like paired up with somebody else a lot, and I forget the name off the top of my head. But I know they had redone him. It's a great toy. It's one of the, it might be the best G2 toy that they made. It's got like a, a firing auto uh, Gatling gun style thing, like you kind of saw in the G.I. Joe vehicles at the time. It looks great. It's got a great color scheme. I think the, the, the reason I shared the page is I'm like, it's badass. I like oh, Darkwing. Yeah. And also, I think maybe with the exception of the Megatron, you know, you know, is, uh, arrives to get Prime's help. It's the best page in the in, in the series. Like, it's just, it's, it's just magnificent to me. The missiles are raining down and they're saying, here comes death, here comes Darkwing. And you really expect to get to see him some more and really do a whole lot more. <laughs> you, know, like it's, uh, that's, you don't see him a ton uh, more than I recall, but I love that page. And it, it, it's like I said, it's just, it strikes me every time I re- every time I do a reread. I'm like, oh yeah, here's this badass Darkwing. And I remember wanting the toy at the time too. And uh, I saw it in the uh, Sears Wish Book. I'm very old. So I remember the Sears Wish Books. <laughs> I could not get my parents to order it for me. Maybe I'll buy one when I get off of here. I buy whatever I want these days. It's possible. <laughs> it's funny. I, I also love love that page with Darkwing and uh, it's not even just that page the couple of pages before it you know introduced the a couple of other generation two toys and it kind of shows off their battle features and it was right, funny right. <laughs> yeah yeah it was it was great because you know you're reading this we're reading this in the 2020s but back in the day it's like these things were on stands and at the end of the day it's like well we got to sell these toys so it's like in the middle of this giant cosmic space opera it's like Darkwing and it's you know, commercial. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's like, go buy these toys, kids. And like to Dean's point, I don't think any of these characters show up in the rest of the story. They certainly don't have a major role. So it was just like, it was like, you know, it, it might be a, a later day Transformers comic. It's still Transformers comic. It's still selling me toys. Mm-hmm. I think it's interesting, too, that that's in there because it's hard for me to believe at this point that this comic book was aimed at an audience that they would think would be buying these toys. These toys were probably aimed at like 10 year olds this comic is incredible like like not that there's anything in here that a 10 year old couldn't handle handle but there's a lot of concepts that would go over their head there's a lot of stuff that may be a little too violent i mean a lot of like i I think during these three issues like several autobots just like die you know like trying to hold a perimeter and stuff yeah so um it's funny to see like hey we got to get these toy ads in here for the demographic you know for a demographic that's reading who is not the demographic who we think will buy the toys yeah Yeah. right after the page of Darkwing. I mean, there is one of the one of the denizens of uh, what was the name of it? Eth- not Ethos, but uh, the moon that the, the Decepticons are on, and they're raiding and trying to get this gas. Uh, you know, this this poor guy wants to surrender, and Megatron just straight up blasts him and kills him, like right there. And you're just like, yeah, well, ten year olds enjoy. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> that guy, that guy got destroyed. The only thing I wanted to say, and I, I'm sure this isn't the first time, but like reading this, I just love uh, the teeth like it was just something that oh, jumped yeah. out at me like I, normally i don't I, i'm sure they do but i don't think of the transformers is like really having teeth but like in the whole fight between like megatron and g-axis they have these really like like over accentuated faces and stuff and it was just one 
of those things where I was like, yeah, it's still absolutely a Transformers comic, no questions asked, but it just looks like like just like two boxers like going at it. And and again, it was just like, oh yeah, we're we're really reaching the end of the line here, and it kind of feels like that. Dude, yeah, when, when Jack- like Optimus's face gets knocked off, yeah, yeah, like, yeah. you're like like I didn't know there were teeth under your mask. I guess. <laughs> yeah, I thought that was your mouth. <laughs> Make it- <laughs> When Megatron shows up to talk to Optimus Prime, he's missing teeth. Yeah. I mean, it's 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 gruesome, and there's all sorts of like they almost look like rabid dogs at some point because they've got they've got either it's drool coming out of their mouth, and it's far from what you would expect a robot to look like. Is Megatron getting some type of like new powers or something like that? You're right. He's he's got this like weird glow around his hands it's all this like kirby crackle but none, <laughs> none of the other characters really seem to be acknowledging it, it never that. happens and as far as i know it never happens again okay yeah. so he says i still don't really know all that this new though admittedly somewhat tarnished body form is capable of especially in the pain department and it looks like he has like some type of crazy powers that i assume must have happened when he changed form then in the that's what it is he's referring to the new body that cobra helped him make that he's got right like i thought i remember that now that's what i thought he meant like he's not the gun anymore he's the tank now there's a thing in issue seven as well again this is stuff that's probably happened in the continuity prior to it but prime is remembering or reflecting on his inner is you know encounters with megatron in the past all the battles that they have done there is specifically a couple panels dedicated to something that looks like two transformers melted together please someone uh step in and tell me what the heck that's about i can't remember exactly what now because i haven't read this in like six years but at some point and i think it's around issue 65 60 megatron and ratchet get like fused together and like they wind up leading this tortured existence. I remember it's a very like it, it, it's almost like a too bad relationship. Okay. Like they don't get along. They're always trying to pull each other in different directions. I, I Derry, you might have read it since I read it because I don't remember how it gets resolved. But at some point they get split. But like it was like an ongoing issue for it was an ongoing uh, a subplot in the issues for around, at least eight or ten issues. Yeah, I I remember that Megatron and Ratchet got combined. It was a it was a very famous cover at the time because it was just so gruesome looking it is gruesome yeah again it's not something you think of with these like mechanical creatures because it almost looks like they've been organically fused i actually didn't think it had been resolved i thought that was the point of having the panels here of them saying like oh somehow you must have gotten free but again i i could be misremembering and i haven't read i that. could be too i haven't read yeah. it in six years so i don't remember and when i say resolved it might just be blown up because by the, yeah, the exactly, last exactly. by the last few issues of the transformers it's not an issue when you read 80 like that's not in it that's not part yeah. of it Bludgeon's the leader of the Decepticons, etc. So right. when I say resolve, I don't mean they got split or anything. Like, um, I, I guess the only other two things I want to say is number one, we see Skullgrin in this, and I just want to remind everyone he's he's a pretender. What the hell is he pretending to be? Like, where is he blending in? Like the uh, the cantina from Star Wars? Like, what is this? Like, there's nowhere on earth he's going to blend in. And uh, number two, for whatever reason, in the toys, Darkwing is Dreadwing. Yeah, and if you haven't seen them you should check out the transformers generation 2 commercials they have some of the best bad raps you have ever heard in your life mm. like they are they are terrible they are saturated with old 
white dudes, you know, like me now, sitting mm. around in a room and being like, oh, yeah, rap for the kid. That's what the kids want. And uh, Dreadwings is one of the most notorious. So check that out if you haven't. They're all, they're oh. all on YouTube. They're a lot of fun. Jet formation! Jet transformation! The aerial bots are taking their shot. Double bolt blast and combaticon. They can all change and be rearranged. To form a super robot, Superion. Combaticon's a warrior. I'm not a roar. Here's one metamorph in Dudigan. They all combine and keep Superion behind as a big bad battle in Brutigan. Transformers Generation 2, Aerobots, and Combaticons, each sold separately. The only other thing I wanted to point out, you, you kind of mentioned this before, is, uh, you know, very few of the, the Cybertronians, Jaxus's forces, actually get spelled out and given a personality, which is kind of unusual, because all the mm -hmm. Autobots and Decepticons have unique personalities and roles and toys and whatnot. And, you know, that's kind of a theme with Jaxus's forces, which I like, because they even all have the same color. They have this, like, white and this kind of, like, muted green, and it's kind of a way of showing, like, the Decepticons and the Autobots, they are individuals, and they're choosing to have this fight, and they, they berate each other, and, you know, not everyone follows everyone else blindly, but... With Jaxus, they're facing someone who has absolute dark side level control over his nearly unlimited forces. And I thought that was a cool visual way of saying, hey, you're not fighting a new faction of Decepticons or people you're going to be able to barter with. These are soldiers and they're fascists and they follow Jaxus and you have a fight ahead of you. And we don't know what this swarm thing is, but that might be the wild card that saves the day because otherwise these guys are going to just march right over you. They do not, you know, they do not concern themselves with the interpersonal deal that you guys do and i just i thought that was a good visual cue in a book that is for the time surprisingly consistent in its visuals yeah and think yeah. about this they all transform into the same things all the ships look the same all the land vehicles look the same and yeah what you said is is spot on that's a fascist society it is an inherently fascist society to the point where they keep talking about how jaxis used to be this worst tyrant he still seems god-awful now like, yeah. like terrible yeah. like like he still seems bad megatron is a totalitarian but not necessarily a fascist there's a lot of room for individuality within the decepticons there's a lot of room for a, a back talk if you have earned that right if you're shockwave or soundwave or even starscream uh, uh jetfire when he's a Decepticon is allowed to mouth off a little bit. If you lead a subgroup, like, you know, the 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 uh the Stuntagons do whatever the fuck they want. Uh, you know, I mean the, the Terracons <laughs> do whatever they want. You know, you, you mentioned the Seacons, they they're not they're like, hey, we might help you the Insecticons, the ultimate wild card. And and all and Megatron doesn't just go destroy them. He's like, Well, listen, yeah, the Insecticons sometimes don't follow my orders exactly, but when they're useful to me, they're useful to me, and I'll need them. He's a totalitarian, but not necessarily a fascist although he's certainly genocidal you know at, at different times but he, i don't know that he would qualify his political beliefs or his philosophy and stuff jaxis and those cybertronians the the new decepticons they're just out and out fascists and i enjoy like what you said by displaying that schism so well you find it's easier to cheer for the decepticons when they team with the autobots and it's easier to quote unquote forgive the autobots for teaming up with them all right, well, getting into issues 10 through 12 as we close in on the end here. Uh, as the Axis attacks Auto Base, Megatron and Optimus realize they have been betrayed by Starscream. Dun, dun, dun. And, <laughs> and at this time, out in space, 
War World, we mentioned that earlier, the ship Megatron uh, that uh, kind of got from uh, Bludgeon uh, is using for his troops, is boarded by Starscream, and he heads for the great source of power that is the Matrix. And if you'll recall, at the end, it was, uh, yeah, our last podcast, Megatron ripped the Matrix straight out of Optimus Prime, and it's sitting there on War World right now. So on Earth, Prime and Megatron's forces are resisting the attack, so Jihaxis, Jihaxis, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pronounce it nine different ways tonight, Jihaxis <laughs> sends in a second wave. During the fray, Megatron and Prime realize Starscream's on board Warworld, and they head to space to stop him. En route, Prime and Megatron watch as Warworld opens fire on a score of Jax's ships, and they wonder who could be behind it as they board the ship. Walking through its halls, Prime and Megatron realize the ship is alive, and soon see it is Starscream, who has come in possession of the Matrix, and is now one with Warworld. Starscream revels in his new power and decides to make Megatron and Prime suffer for their past indignations. Jaxus is mad he's lost the war world and plans to head there and sort things out himself. Prime and Megatron work together, which was fun to see, to try to escape Starscream's torture and are given an opening when war world begins to shake. Meanwhile, in deeper space, a few of Jaxus's ships are heading towards the battle but encounter the Swarm and are immediately destroyed. The Swarm is heading towards Earth. Prime finds the control center of Warworld and reaches out to Jaxus to warn him of the coming threat and attempt to reason with him. Jaxus's response? Uh, they attack Earth and obliterate San Francisco. <laughs> <laughs> Surprisingly, compelled by the Matrix, Starscream unleashes Warworld on Jaxus to protect Earth. Prime realizes that the Matrix is changing Starscream's evil ways, but then realizes the threat from his visions has arrived. The swarm is here. Jaxus believes the swarm is an Autobot trick and decides to fire on it. During all of this, Prime convinces Starscream to give him the Matrix. Prime then boards a transport and heads towards Jaxus's ship. Coming up with a plan, Megatron compels Starscream, I say compel, I'll put that in quotes as he drags him. Compel Starscream to join him to gather the reanimum gas that they gathered off Tycos or whatever the name of that place was, uh, which will apparently make their metal shells super dense. I, I, I was pleased that this came back into play, that they actually used this, uh, uh, which was pretty cool. But it's going to make their metal shell super dense in order to battle the swarm. Prime finally finds Jaxus, but is immediately met with a fist to the face, and now he can't talk. As Jaxus re relentlessly beats upon Prime, he is about to crush his head as as we've seen him do with a lot of his troops. It's pretty gruesome. He's really into that. Oh, yeah. <laughs> he definitely to crush. loved Crush in the early 90s with the crazy oh, yeah. crush. <laughs> As Jaxus relentlessly beats upon Prime, he is about to crush his head when the swarm breaks through the hull of the ship and obliterates a defiant Jaxus. As the ship breaks apart, Optimus is blown into space and he awaits his fate. But when Prime awakens at the foot of Starscream, he is struck with a revelation that the sentient swarm is lacking a purpose and just attacking out of instinct, very much like a child. On Earth, Autobot and Decepticon work together to solidify a defense against the swarm. When it attacks, they hope their shields will hold. Now, I, I listed this because it was pretty crazy. Frenzy is using his sonic blast to attack the swarm, but to no avail. Transformers are dying left and right when Megatron, Megatron, shows up giving Grimlock, these two guys have butted head plenty of times, uh, Grimlock the reanimum gas to help them withstand the swarm. On Warworld, Starscream gives Prime some reanimum as well, but Optimus believes he must die in order for his plan to work. Prime is ripped apart by the swarm and dies, but the Matrix 
keeps his essence alive, uniting him with the swarm, allowing him to bestow upon it the dream of Primus. Now, put that in quotes because that's a thing, and we're going to talk about that. The swarm transfers the dream to the Cybertronians left on Earth as well and departs, leaving Optimus Prime standing before them. Prime gives a rousing speech to follow in the footsteps of Primus, devoting their existence to the good that lies within them for all of creation. Now, in a small epilogue, in the outer reaches of space, in a place called The Hub, the progenitor of the Decepticons, Liege Maximo, is being briefed by a member of Jahaxis's army, the Decepticon Rook. After hearing the fate of Jahaxis, Liege Maximo plans on bringing a reckoning to Prime and Megatron's alliance. That was a long couple paragraphs there, but uh, we made it to the end of Transformers Generation 2. Uh, Derry, I'm going to give you... I mean, let, let's just start off with this. Starscream, go. <laughs> <laughs> you have to defend him. He's your guy. <laughs> I, I, I love defending him. I will speak all day and night about Starscream. I thought this was a great use of the character. I, I, again, I... I I don't know if I'm reading too much into this, but there was an earlier story from the original comic where something similar happens and Starscream gets godlike power by possessing a, a, a weapon, a MacGuffin called Underbase. Yeah. And uh, it's a similar it's a similar story where he gets his godlike power and he never learns. And, you know, uh, he again, it's this idea. It's 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 like Thanos. I know I mentioned him in the last episode, but it's like you get godlike power and you don't know what to do with it. You have no imagination and you eventually end up losing it. So I yeah. I. I love he got all that power, and all he could think of to do was kill Omega Supreme. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, no, I I liked it because I I, I like that for all of the characters that are introduced uh, in Transformers media, he is one that writers keep finding something to do with him. You know, they don't have him in this story because he can turn into a fighter jet or because he's standing next to Megatron. They turn into him because it's like, well, we need someone to be at the center of this who can come to a realization. And Starscream always has the most real estate to gain so him with the matrix it's like wow that's that's a huge change uh, we're all big comic book nerds here and it made me think of uh you know lex luther in all-star superman by graham morrison and frank quietly uh spoilers for a pretty old comic but at the end you know lex realizes he's been wrong all these years because if you can see things the way superman does uh you know we're all in it together and i had a similar vibe here with starscream where it's like oh yeah once you have all this power and you're connected to the matrix you see that like there's something bigger than just your your petty insecurities which yeah. i greatly enjoyed dean what do you think about a star screen buddy well i think he's a whiny piece of trash <laughs> but, <laughs> but like that's why you like him you know what i mean like yeah. i mean the thing is it's like if he wasn't it wouldn't it wouldn't be great you, you he's one of the most important transformers and, and part of it is just because of what Derry said like he has the most to learn he always has the most to gain or and then the most to lose you always know what's going to happen i enjoy the uh he-man she-ra Christmas special feel. You remember that meme where Skeletor's like, I don't like to feel good. I like to feel evil. That's how Starscream came across. He's like, Prime, I don't want to be a hero. I need to be self-serving. What are you doing, Prime? How do I possibly not help these people? You know, and of course, it's as simple. And this is the thing yeah. with uh, Starscream. It's as simple as letting go of the power. All he had to do was be like, I don't want the Matrix anymore. <laughs> you know what I mean? But like, I found that to be very enjoyable. Um, It's really good. It, it's really good to see 
uh, Starscream, you know, for all the reasons there he said. And also, even though he discounted it, he does transform into a big old jet. He does <laughs> yeah. fire super lasers, and that is cool. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Uh, Derry, tell me, has an alliance between Decepticons and Autobots been done before? Be- again, uh, you know, I'm the casual fan sitting over here. Tell me, does that happen in the movie? I can't remember. It's been a while. Decepticons and, and Autobots team up to go up against Unicron, right? Because that thing that's mentioned in the comic. Yeah, that that's what I was going to say. As as you know, the the one I always go back to. I know it's a cliche because like everyone loves it, but the the original Transformers from from '86. It's like it's like yeah, and that one they all have to kind of put aside their differences, but it's it's funny too in that one you know in that movie we talk about generation two being a bloodbath that's the original bloodbath you know yeah. all the characters whose toys weren't going to be on shelves next season are knocked off so there's not mm. too many characters at the end of the movie to stand against unicron and, and there's the deus ex machina and the matrix of leadership but it's it's funny here to watch them actually have to put aside very real differences and go up against him you know one of the things in the movie that i i loved as a kid but now I, I almost see it as like a cop-out is like, you know, they make Megatron work for Unicron. So at the end of the day, it's still, you know, Optimus's heir with the Matrix, Rodimus Prime, facing off against a new version of Megatron. They don't really fight together against Unicron, but they do here, which I really like because it's like, can I trust Megatron? Can I trust my age-old enemy? Like, is he going to risk the ending of our entire race just to take me out, you know, seconds or microcycles before he does everything else? So while the other times it's done it, that's been great. I really think that Furman kind of perfected it here by saying, I'm going to introduce a third party that you guys just can't empathize with. And I'm going to yeah. show you how these characters can work when they actually are in the same boat. So, you know, of all the times they've done it, I definitely think this is probably my favorite. Yeah, I mean, I, I agree. I think this is, might be the best of them. Although I am partial also to uh, what you mentioned before, Transformers Volume 1, number uh, 50 with the Underbase Saga, where the Decepticons and the Autobots team up. I also, I can't recall exactly how it worked, but I want to say Ratchet and Megatron worked together to get rid of Shockwave in the early episode, uh, early issues of Transformers comic book, which would like later why it was such a big deal when they were combined because they did not like each other then. They don't mm-hmm. like each other, like each other less when they get combined. I don't remember, I don't think they ever, like you said, there was no big team up then there, but other, you know, like the Underbase Saga and this are probably, you know, for, for what I've read of the Transformers, which means not a lot since the year 2000, these are definitely the big Autobot Decepticon team-ups that, you know, that, that are that are really good over the top. And you see those pairings that you want to see Optimus Prime and Megatron back-to-back, Optimus Prime and Megatron helping each other through traps, Grimlock talking to Soundwave. That's just me. I like Grimlock and Soundwave, so that was fun. <laughs> but yeah, that's what I, I do enjoy. I do enjoy that aspect of this. And there are, you know, it's the movie, it's Underbase, it's this. And, and those are the big three team-ups uh, in my in my uh, canonical sphere. It's funny, too, because before uh, Dean mentioned the uh, Megatron being a gladiator, uh, which is something that was in the UK comics, but it, it comes back in a big deal later on when uh, you know, different properties decide that they want to make Megatron a bit more understanding, like not just this like crazy supervillain. It's like, well, can we give him a compelling backstory? And, and one of the ones that's really taken off is this idea that Megatron is part of a persecuted lower class. 
And when he had his revolution, it wasn't just because he wanted powers, because he really did want a better life for those like him. And one of the things I really like here is seeing Optimus and Megatron together. It's like, oh, yeah, you know, in the next iteration, they're really going to run with this of them saying, why can't we be on the same side again? You know, we both want our people to be okay in kind of a Professor X Magneto thing. So I I did like seeing that here because you really get to see like these guys have to look at each other in the eye and say, what do we fundamentally disagree on that's going to prevent us from working together? And you find out at the end of the day, it's like, it's like, no, man, we all want to run Cybertron. You see at the end of issue 12, it's like, yeah, Cybertron's big enough for both of us. Like, calm down. (laughs) We'll be okay. Do we agree that Starscream sucks? (laughs) (laughs) I'll just just see that. Well, I also enjoy when it comes to those, you see, like you said, the, uh, the leadership that they both have, they both care for their troops. Like I said, except for Starscream, I think I think Megatron doesn't want to sacrifice sacrifice as you know as few of his troops as possible. But I think the third really interesting leadership matrix here was Grimlock. Grimlock's like in charge of the forces on Earth. He's really he, like he's so inspiring that like Decepticons are just wanting to become Autobots. And at one point, I think uh, one of the Predacons is mad about it and like you know tries yeah. to kill one of the new Decepticons. And Grimlock takes him out. And he's like, hey, Autobots got to stick together, right? And everybody's like, yeah, you know. Mm-hmm. And I think it was interesting to get to see Grimlock uh, evolve throughout these twelve issues from the guy who blamed himself for a bad uh, operation, and you know, and Prime told him earlier, hey, you just didn't go far enough. You know, you had to think a little bit more. You know. And now you see him put all of that together. And at no point during the, uh, you know, as they try to hold off the swarm on Earth, waiting for Megatron to show up with, the, you know, the gas, does he falter? Does he waver? He's like, these guys are great troops. I'm glad to be leading them. I'm glad to be with them. And if we die, I die, we die proud of each other. And that was a great little subplot that I think when I've heard other people talk about G2 gets overlooked a little bit, is that Grimlock, Grimlock really evolves into the leader that I think he always wanted to be and always could be. Well, okay, so Jahaxis meets his end by the swarm. Was this the way you wanted to see Jahaxis die? So, Derry, I mean, did you have any thoughts on that? Was this was this the way it was supposed to go down? Is this the way you wanted to see it go down? Yeah, it absolutely was. I, I'm, in general, a fan of any story that wraps up its plot line by showing that an act of creation is ultimately more powerful than an act of destruction. And knowing that... Optimus, who's, you know, pretty much my favorite superhero of all time, except for the Scarlet Spider, is able to defeat the villain by showing it compassion and empathy and saying, hey, listen, you, the swarm, you're a descendants and you maybe don't have the proper context for the fact that doing this is bad. So let me connect you to the Matrix. Let me connect you to our creator. Let me show you what I've experienced in my lifetime. And they turn it around and they're like, oh, this is cool. We're going to take out him because he's a bad deal. Like, I, I really like that. I thought it landed. I thought it was a beautiful beautiful way to end uh, this story and what ultimately proved to be the entire Marvel Transformers franchise. But then on top of that, you get to the last page of issue 12 and it's like, wow, what a cliffhanger. Mm-hmm. <laughs> what an amazing cliffhanger. And I just, you know, as a fan of, of comics and the monthly format, it's like, it's like, you know, Simon Furman knows what he's doing with these pages. Yeah. Liege Maximo, I think was mentioned, I think uh, in the first six, like maybe once or twice yeah. and then completely dropped. 
am I right? I called him the progenitor of Dece- of the Decepticons. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, my my understanding uh, from reading about the character is that yeah, you you were right. You know, the the earlier part of this series talks about how you know there was a first generation, the, the first generation, generation one, if you will, of of uh, Transformers that Primus made, and and the idea is that you know the evil sect, the darker sect, came and descended from Liege Maxima. He's the he's the original Decepticon. He's very similar to a character that would be introduced after this by Simon Furman called the Fallen, who was actually in the movies too. I think one of them is named after him. So this concept of the the progenitor, as you call him, the original Decepticon, like I really feel like it's a fundamental addition to the to the mythology. And yeah, it just lands here on the last page, and it's like. Oh man, I don't know if, if if Simon Furman thought this book was going to come back or what, but like you, you hooked me. Like I oh, don't yeah. know more about that guy. No kidding, Dean. What's your thoughts on these last three issues, man? You have the floor. Well, first off, all right. Well, first off, I want to say that Jazz is my favorite Autobot, and all I get out of Jazz in these last three issues is at one point someone's like, "Hey, Jazz, you're doing stuff." He's like, "I am." Like that's it. <laughs> that's that's the exchange that there is. I think the last three issues are really good. I think that G Axis getting eaten by the swarm really resonates for me not just for the reasons that Derry said but also because I think everybody's no secret I'm an ardent anti-fascist and I hate fascists more than I hate anything in the world and so G-Axis is like you know fairly epitomizes the fascist mentality and one of the things that they're really into is like might makes right they can do anything they want because they're so big so tough and only the strong and the tough can survive etc they get to push around anybody else well G-Axis comes up against the swarm and it doesn't matter or how big his ray blaster is or how good his metallicato may be or how you know hard he punches Storm's just going to eat him it doesn't matter and that's mm-hmm. a great analogy for real, real world fascism because those because those values and those sets of ethics like eat people alive and they eat so they eat society alive until it eats itself out and somebody just gets rid of it so i really enjoyed uh seeing that in these last three issues i think the cliffhanger was good i think i knew by the time i read it because i was reading this in real time i think i knew by issue eight or nine it was going to get canceled so i was not i didn't you know i wasn't like oh man where's issue 13 too bad bro really liked the Raiders of the Lost Ark feeling of uh, Optimus Prime and Megatron together trying to survive Starscream's war world. I thought that was pretty cool. Um, I, I love the Autobots and Decepticons on Earth making their last stand. I'm a sucker for the last stand stuff. I'm yeah. a sucker for, uh, you know, bad guys and good guys having to get along against a greater enemy, and especially when they're pressed into close quarters. I will say, though, once again, here's San Francisco getting, like, nuked, and Grimlock's like, ah, oh, they dropped a big one. So I, I appreciate <laughs> that he knows what to call an atomic bomb. But again, if this takes place in the G.I. Joe continuity, it has no impact on anything. At some point, it must have split off because like, wow, they just like, they nuke San Francisco. I think they blow up some other cities and nothing ever comes back in the uh, G.I. Joe uh, issues in its own series or even like, it's really not mentioned a whole lot here. Where are the Joes at this point? They were around earlier. Yeah, no kidding. I was thinking the same thing. I was like, man, this is a big deal. (laughs) San Francisco is no longer there. Uh, We might have to address this at some point in some continuity i would imagine yeah somebody send up uh send up countdown in the uh in the defiant what are we doing here <laughs> it just goes to again support the evil that jaxis is that basically consumes him in- instead of wanting to face prime one-on-one he's like what can i do that'll hurt him it's hurt humanity 
you could see the look on Prime's face that he couldn't believe that he did that. I felt the emotion of that moment as he's sitting there watching the view screens and there's like skeletal remains uh, on on the TV screen. It's pretty crazy, but um, you'll notice anyway. too. It's the same move Bludgeon made. It's the exact same move Bludgeon made. Like yeah, five issues with him. I'll just attack Earth to deal with Optimus Prime. So you know, it, it's kind of weird for two people because Jack just wanted to tell you he was this noble guy and. You know, Bludgeon was like, I love Metellicato, the noble warrior. It's pretty a cowardly move for some people who purport to be very noble warriors and leaders. Yeah, poor poor San Francisco. And it's so random, too, because it's literally, you know, an alien robot overlord being like, no, 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 destroy a major city, whatever happens to be under us. You know, it's not like San Francisco has a particularly strong impact with uh, with the Transformers. So it's funny. It's just like, oh, man, we're going to nuke this whole city. And then, yeah, there's not a real a lot of real estate left, but it doesn't come back in any way. It's like no. every time I read this, I have to remind myself like, oh, yeah, they killed a couple of million people. Um, <laughs> right, right. So that that jumped out of me but it was funny too because you know not only is it a very like 90s thing to do where it's like oh man we're gonna nuke a city it's like yeah okay that that feels accurate but also it's funny too because it kind of drives Optimus you know it, it does work right like he originally led his yeah. people to this planet because he was trying to save them so he brought the war here I mean Earth is not part of the uh, interstellar community they might have never known about a Decepticon he brought them here so yeah attacking them it's like that's a really good Achilles heel it's like uh, you know what is dark side say to superman in the animated series if i had known hurting one of the humans would hurt you so much i would have killed more of them it's this idea mm -hmm. of like you might be invulnerable you might always come back from the dead but those in your charge will not and i'll take as many of them as i can because you keep defeating me so i, I thought it was a great move i thought it was a way of saying you know this is optimus prime he's a three-dimensional character even if he just transforms into a random tractor trailer uh, the other thing I'll say, just because I'm a huge nerd, is one of the things I really like about this, you know, the swarm seems like they're going to be a big deal. And if there had been an issue 13 and forward, they probably would have. Uh, but they were actually supposed to make a return in the most unlikely of places. They were supposed to be in the Beast Wars cartoon. Yeah, I don't know if you guys watched the entire thing, but towards the end, a random alien race is shown to be kind of the uh, behind the scenes people of a lot of the events there. And without getting too into the weeds, I had read an interview where the writer wanted to connect them to this concept which they very much liked and they wanted to to go from a to b with but unfortunately that was left on on the cutting room floor but i like to read this issue thinking like oh you know what you you learned from optimus and you went on you, you did help us <laughs> so that's kind of my head canon. i never watched beast wars so like i can't talk a lot about that but maybe you know more about this because a lot of my stuff dies off like right my transformers knowledge dies off immediately after this just bits and pieces here and there but from what i understand for a long time with like hasbro and future uh, entities that would license the Transformers, IDW, uh, Dreamwave, etc. They didn't really want to talk about Generation 2. It's not that, like, I don't think they were embarrassed by it, but there's, like, we don't really, it's not really something we care to revisit. I know, Do you think that had anything to do with the Beast Wars, like, not picking that up, or was it just something else? Because I know that's a fact, because I, I've read that in several different places, where they were like, yeah, I tried to bring this back up from G2. They don't want to do it for a while. I know that's changed since, but for a while, they didn't really want to mention the series a lot. Yeah, no, it's 100%. Generation 
too, is the awkward teenage years of this franchise. I mean, when Dreamwave very famously brought the characters back in the early 2000s, they went straight for Generation 1. You had Soundwave, Devastator, Optimus Prime. Right. There was no attempt to bring back any of these retrofitted or revolved versions. Like, it was right. pure 80s nostalgia, and it worked. And the movie has gone in a similar... The movie series has gone in a similar direction. Right. The, the few concepts introduced in Generation 2 really, unfortunately, don't get a lot of play unless Simon Furman himself wants to wrap up a couple of the storylines. But to, to your point, that is changing now that there's just so much media. Like, I have not read as much of the IDW stuff as I probably should have just because there's so much of it. Right. But I know a lot of these characters do show up. So it's that idea of, like, now enough time has passed, another 20 years has passed, where it's like, oh, yeah, we have nostalgia for the 90s. Or Beast Wars itself is 25 years old this year. But, you know, this other stuff that bridged the gap between one person's very popular franchise and another one it's like oh there was something there and let's uh let's play around with it so yeah i, I definitely think if you really like these characters there's some places in the idw stuff but uh yeah for for a long time <laughs> generation two was just you know it was your emo phase it was like uh, you know i'm happy that i didn't have social media when i was uh, in middle school that's Same. what generation two is man people wanted they wanted to move on they wanted to remember the good times they wanted to sell you uh, uh monkeys and dinosaurs <laughs> Listen, I had a good time reading this uh, reading this series. You know, I would have never picked it up if it weren't for, I guess, really our first unspoken issues on issue 80, talking about that final that final issue of Transformers. Dean saying, I think Dean mentioned it at that point. He's like, at some point, we got to do Generation 2. I did. And I, I, yeah, I enjoyed I enjoyed what I read here. I, you know, I, I was dropped into a world that I wasn't completely familiar with, but was familiar enough to where I could pick up very quickly on what was going on and then this whole new story just kind of spun out of uh, what I was used to and, and Simon Furman did a great job of uh, keeping me hooked and keeping me interested and I'll tell you these last six really flew by for me like the first six issues of this series I was getting into it. I was I was learning a lot, but then I was really invested in reading at a very quick pace in these last six issues. I wanted to see how this was going to go down. I wanted to see how Jahaxis was going to get his butt whooped. I wanted to see how Prime was going to reconcile what happened here. I mean, we talked, I mentioned the dream of Primus. Dean, can you give me an idea of what the dream of Primus is? Am I am I coining the term right there first off? Is it called the dream of Primus? They refer to it, and I think it's just another way to say till all are one. I think that's <laughs> that's the way I interpreted it, you know, which is what the uh which is kind of the driving mantra of the trends. At some point they'd like to not have the schism and you know just be transformers, not Autobots or Decepticons. And it's all about which side would win out. Primus wants the good side to win out. That's the way I understand it Derry. if you if you understand it differently you know let me know yeah no i i i agree completely one of the things that i always found very interesting about you know simon Furman's take on on the transformers which again accounts for a lot of the comic media is it's very much the story of primus is good and what he makes is good and unicron is bad and that's why he eats and destroys and unmakes things and one of the one of the ideas prevalent here is like you know the transformers particularly the autobots the the descendants of primus they're not just there to do things and to have a life. They're 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 there to be good. They're there to be noble. They're there to help. You know, they're basically immortal. 
They're very strong. They adapt. They can become part of any culture. Like, I really do think Furman is saying, well, listen, Primus is a sentient, somewhat compassionate God. And he made these things so they can go out into the galaxy and they can help where they can. They just keep getting distracted by all these evil forces that keep popping up. So to me, when I read that, especially here in the 11th hour, it's like Primus would like it if his creations could help everyone. And maybe now that they've put a bunch of nonsense aside and made peace with one branch of their evolutionary tree, they can they can get on that. They can they can help people. They can do things. They can make a difference. That's kind of how I read it. But yeah, I, I do like the way Dean said it, which is, you know, till all are one. Everyone's got to come yeah. together. Everyone's got to work together. Y'all got to be part of uh, part of the matrix, part of the spark. So uh, I like that as well. Final thoughts there, Dean. Let's hear it. I think that you'd be hard pressed to find a, a more fun romp than Transformers Generation 2. But also you'd be hard pressed to find a more cosmically, mystically minded comic book about, you know, super space robots that, you know, turn into cars and jets and sometimes guns. I think that, you know, the 12 issues really go together well. It's a great start, to, you know, story from start to end. I wish it could have gone on. I would have been interested to see the next few issues, you know. What happens when the swarm gets shown, you know, the dream of the Liege Maximo, etc. You know, I mean, it would be interesting to have seen it. As it is, I'm just really glad that we were able to get together and talk about it because I think it's I think it's a very forgotten piece of Transformers lore. It's a very forgotten piece of Transformers history. And it's a very it's a very forgotten piece of 90s comics history. I think people forget that like the Transformers comic, you know, volume one stretched into the 90s, but also that there was a Transformers comic that just was all incompat that was all you know self-contained within the 90s and that it had a different feel and it felt very much within that time frame just as if you started reading Transformers in 1985 it felt very 1985 this feels very 1994 and I mean that in the best possible way so it's good to you know it's good to get out there it also you know reminded me of everything I love about the Transformers uh, both the heavy, the heavy-minded, the the more Adam Warlock out there stuff, but also just like wow, Grimlock is a Tyrannosaurus Rex who is also metal and he eats metal things, and I enjoy <laughs> that. It, it's weird how it can both make me think so deeply, but also make me feel like I was six years old again. <laughs> All right, Derry, what's your final thoughts, man? My my last thought on this whole thing, and it just kills me as a comic book fan, is as far as I can tell, this has not been collected, at least in an easy-to-find way. I know a lot of these old Marvel books, the reprint rights aren't super clear, but I tell you, man, after reading this, and I, I had to break out my old issues, I would love that there were just a nice collected edition, you know, Transformers, like I said before, still an evergreen property, new show on Netflix, movies coming out, toys on the shelves as we speak. It would be really nice to be able to buy this and put it in someone's hands and say, listen, I, I, I know you might think one way about Generation 2, but read this, you know, read this. It's a it's a good comic, especially from the time it came out. It makes you think, and it's by veteran creators. You know, it is certainly not a relaunch. It, it closes out a lot of stories. So I'd, I just wish IDW or, or whoever could put out just a nice, you know, Spider-Man doesn't show up in this, just a right. nice bound edition of 12 issues. I'd love to have it on my bookshelf. I'd love to give it to people. I, I don't know if we'll ever get that, but uh, that that is my final hope. I think too, it's important to note if you are going to read this, try and read it like it's 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 its own continuity. I think one of the problems some people have with this is like we've talked about, it doesn't connect neatly to the GI Joe issues it's tied into. It doesn't connect neatly like some of the guys who show up in the 
Transformers. They died in the first Transformers. It doesn't connect neatly with some stuff that comes afterwards, like when they do Regeneration 1 and the new Generation 1 stuff. So Reed is its own continuity, and I think it really, really stands up then. All right, well, I guess that will bring our discussion of Transformers Generation 2 to a close. Dean, let's go ahead and lay it out there, man. What do we what do we want to plug here tonight? Well, I think everybody should transform and roll out to theunspokendecade.com where you're going to read a lot of great articles about 90s comics and you know, some of these podcasts are posted there too. Did someone say Unspoken Decade? The place where you need to go to check out some great articles about comics in the 90s? This would be a good time to plug a sponsor of the W2M Network, and that is Grammarly. For you, the listeners of Unspoken Issues, Grammarly is offering a free download of the Grammarly software. Grammarly's AI-powered products help people communicate more effectively. Grammarly helps you write mistake-free on Gmail, Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, and nearly anywhere else you write on the web. Grammarly corrects hundreds of grammar, punctuation, and spelling mistakes while also catching contextual errors, improving your vocabulary, and suggesting style improvements. To download Grammarly today, go to getgrammarly.com slash W2M network. Again, that's getgrammarly.com slash W, the number two, M network to download Grammarly for free. Uh, we're on Twitter at Unspoken Decade, where, you know, I'm hosting, uh, you know, three or four, you know, comics a day. <clears throat> Just getting to get them out there talking to people. And uh, we're on, on Facebook, very active on Facebook. So look us up there until all are one. That's what, that's what I'm going to plug now. Love it. Love it. Shout out to the W2M Network, who uh, is hosting the podcast. And, of course, the Radulichian Broadcasting Network as well. For myself, Jesse Starcher, Jerry Waite sitting right over there. And there's Dean Compton. We're heading on out of here. Have a good one. Bye-bye. <laughs> <laughs>